From Capital Public Radio in Sacramento, this is Insight. I'm Beth Ruyak. December of 2019 has begun. There are just a few weeks until the end of the year holidays, but plenty of time, it seems, for a lot to be happening on Capitol Hill, including the impeachment inquiry, legislation to keep the federal government open, and then there's running for president, or if you are the president, traveling this week to London. So let's see how much we can tackle with Ken Rudin, the political junkie. He usually joins us from Washington, D.C. on the first Monday of the month, but he happens to be in Florida today. Hello, Ken. Glad to be talking with you. Thank you, Beth. Good morning. So let's talk about the biggest headline of the week, which I think is that the House Intelligence Committee will vote tomorrow on the impeachment report prepared by Chairman Adam Schiff. Yeah, that's the big news, and it's it's not going to be a surprise, obviously, with a Democratic majority on the Intelligence Committee. They will approve it, and then it will go to the House Judiciary Committee. But basically, Adam Schiff has made what he thinks, what he argues, is a very convincing case that Donald Trump, the President of the United States, asked another country to interfere in the 2020 elections, and that other country being Ukraine, and interfering by basically trying to organize an investigation into Joe Biden, a likely Democratic opponent of President Trump, and his son, and Biden's son, Hunter Biden. So basically, what the accusations are is that they asked the country to interfere. They withheld military aid uh, for this investigation to go on, and which is, which, uh, according to uh, Adam Schiff, his argument is an abuse of presidential powers, and therefore he should, he, the president, should be impeached. So the report sets in motion the Judiciary Committee then stepping in, because that's the committee that would actually prepare the charges, correct? That's correct. It goes to the Judiciary Committee. If the vote if the vote is tomorrow, that's what it looks like in the House Intelligence Committee, it goes straight to House Judiciary. The chairman is Jerry Nadler, a Democrat of New York. And on Wednesday, the Judiciary Committee, and we know the Judiciary Committee, the committee that impeached Richard, voted to impeach Richard Nixon in 1974 and Bill Clinton in 1998. The Judiciary Committee will have its first meeting on Wednesday. So there's been a lot of talk about whether the president would appear on Wednesday, whether White House counsel would. The president issued a letter Sunday night, last night, saying no, neither the president nor the White House counsel will be there. Um, essentially saying that the the hearing was being scheduled intentionally when the president couldn't appear, but it's part of the back and forth about who's going to testify, including possibly Adam Schiff. And I'm unclear about whether he's been subpoenaed or not. Well, the Republicans have no right to uh, subpoena anybody. They have the right, of course, to question witnesses, but they can't subpoena their own, wit- their, their own witnesses. And the thought of uh, subpoenaing Adam Schiff I mean, the Republicans argued that Adam Schiff is the guy who became the judge, jury, and executioner. That's why he should be testifying. But Schiff said this is just a ploy to satisfy Donald Trump. All he did was assemble the charges. Uh, but, um, but the Republicans, I mean, the Republicans would love to have Schiff testify. They would have loved to have uh, a lot of uh, uh, Democrats testify. And, of course, Republic, uh, Democrats would love to have President Trump testify, and they're not going to subpoena him either. Look, well, the fact is the president will be in London for, that, for the meeting, uh, but, but basically considering the fact that the White House has called this whole thing a witch hunt and a sham from the beginning, there was never any likelihood of the president himself uh, testifying before the Judiciary Committee, even though there were some hints coming out of the White House uh, about that. 
Ken, what did you think of the public hearings that happened up until and through November 21st? Give me. I was kept. I, I was captivated by it. I thought that uh, these are not. These were not ideologues. These were not never Trumpers, as the president likes to say. These were people who have dedicated their entire lives to public service. And for the most part, what they were saying was that the president was up to something nefarious and was trying to cover it up. And, and regarding what, what to do with Ukraine, and and to hear one one um, uh, uh, official after another saying. What, what, what we saw happening was, was wrong, and then to see Republican after Republican saying, well, we don't see anything wrong, and even if it was maybe a little bit untoward, it certainly wasn't impeachable. So we almost kind of know how this story was going to go into end, and yet, you know, I mean, the fact is that the House, well, I mean, Ken Rudin says that the, the, the House will impeach President, uh, President uh, Trump, and the Senate will vote to acquit him. They will not convict him because you're not going to get two-thirds of a vote. You're not going to get 67 senators. And for that to happen, you need 20 Republican senators. You'll be lucky if you get one or two. So the fact that we know that the president will remain in office, and yet this will captivate the country, you know, in January and February when the Senate trial presumably goes on as the Democrats are campaigning in Iowa, New Hampshire, and the early states. It's going to be a show that we're not going to take our eyes off, even if we do know how the story ends. So give it some comparison to the hearings, the impeachment hearings, and the ultimate impeachment of President Clinton. I think we could even go back to the Iran-Contra hearings, to Watergate on TV. Where, where is this one similar and different? Well, let's go back to Nixon, for example. I mean, ultimately, they were, they were, even though he resigned before the full House could vote, there were impeachment votes in the House Judiciary Committee. And, you know, when that whole thing started, um, you know, all the Democrats voted, yes, we should begin this impeachment inquiry, and all the Republicans said no. But after we had testimony, and after we had weeks and weeks of testimony on obstruction of justice and abuse of power, you didn't get a lot. You didn't get a majority of Republicans. You got six. Matter of fact, when the first vote to impeach Nixon, which was uh, obstruction of justice, the vote was 27 to 11. All 21 Democrats voted yes, but six of the 17 Republicans voted yes. Mm. And on the abuse of power, seven of the 17 Republicans voted yes. So at least back then in 1974, you did see some movement uh, by Republicans uh, that said that the, their president, Richard Nixon, was guilty. That's not the case now. Even if you, look at, uh, if you looked at the Intelligence Committee, Will Hurd, who has criticized the president, President Trump, in the past, he still says he sees nothing uh, that, inv- uh, that reminds him that that's worthwhile that, you know, for impeachment. Uh, maybe a better comparison, even though the charges are hardly similar, is with Bill Clinton. I mean, then it was the president lying under oath about an affair. So, uh, I don't know how you could equalize that with, with basically trying to get a foreign power to interfere in an election. But the fact is, is that on the House Judiciary Committee with Clinton, all 21 Republicans voted to impeach. All 16 Democrats were against it. And the same language that you're hearing the Republicans say now is what the Republicans, uh, the Democrats, said back then, that it's a, a partisan witch hunt and, and they're, they're just trying to overturn the election of, uh, of, uh, of 1996. So, so in that sense, it's similar, but, uh, but, but again, 
again, the fact is that the, the, these parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, seem to be set in their ways, not going to, it's very li- unlikely to see anything. And even with the impeachment, even with the impeachment of the president in the Senate, the conviction, you did have some Republicans who crossed over. Uh, John Warner, for one, famously voted not guilty. Uh, You'll be lucky if you get one or two Republicans uh, to vote yes on conviction in the Senate. I mean, people talking about Susan Collins of Maine, Mitt Romney of Utah. You may get them and you may not get anybody. You're listening to Ken Rudin, the political junkie. He joins us on the first Monday of every month. And so then we move to this public hearing on Wednesday. This committee, which includes five California Democrats, one California Republican, uh, there's an expectation that four witnesses will be called. I don't think we know. I haven't seen the names anywhere yet. But these are going to be constitutional law experts. And what's the goal of this committee? Well, I think that this is the first day on Wednesday, and these constitutional law folks are just going to basically be talking about what constitutes impeachable offenses. So I don't think you're going to see specifics about President Trump or allegations about President Trump. They'll talk about maybe, and these are called by the Democrats, and they will talk about what constitutes uh, impeachment. I think you want to start it off that way to see if it's basically to justify the committee taking on this this gigantic task and see if the, the charges that are being alleg- uh, the allegations uh, warrant such a thing. So it's going to be mostly, uh, mostly a, a constitutional lesson, perhaps, on Wednesday. But you talk about the Californians who are going to be on the committee, and yes, there are a bunch of Californians, especially Eric Swalwell, right. who is also on the Intelligence Committee, is on the House uh, um, uh, Impeachment the Judiciary Committee. He's a Democrat. Tom McClintock is the only Republican on the committee. Californians won't have the same kind of pull as you had intelligence. I mean, intelligence, for goodness sakes, you had, you had Adam Schiff and Devin Nunes, who was the ranking Republican. But you will have, you know, some po- real partisan Republicans, just like you'll have partisan Democrats, and you'll have people like Doug Collins, who's the ranking Republican, and, um, and uh, Jim Jordan and people like that. So, again, I, I suspect that when all is said and done, the Judiciary Committee, every Democrat will vote yes for impeachment, every Republican will vote no on impeachment, and then it goes to the full House. Over the weekend on ABC This Week, Tom McClintock, um, Ken, was saying, why wouldn't White House counsel want to be at this hearing? But just spend a moment there about the decision to be there or not to be there if you are White House counsel. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if McClintock represented majority Republican opinions, because if basically the whole thing is a witch hunt and a farce, then why justify it by showing up? But McClintock does make a good point, is that, you know, basically without the White House point of view, I mean, you'll hear Republicans on the committee talking about how they feel that the president is, is just, you know, not guilty. But it would, uh, somehow I would think you'd, let, you'd want somebody who works for the president, to, like the president's attorneys, president's counsel, to come before the committee and say, um, you know, this is why this is or just a witch hunt, because what he did is not what they were accusing him of. Uh, I don't think McClintock is a majority opinion in the Republican Party because, as I said, I think they feel like the less attention, the less dignity you give this uh, hearing, this committee hearing, uh, the better off the Republicans make their argument. 
Again, I'm talking with Ken Rudin, the political junkie. Let's look ahead to January when there will supposedly be the Senate trial and how Mitch McConnell will navigate all of that. It also puts into question, Ken, the matter of senators who are running for president needing to be in Washington for the trial. And we've had a few changes in the presidential race. So let's shift gears a bit and talk about that picture. Well, yes, I mean, people will be shocked to learn that Joe Sestak, the former congressman from Pennsylvania, dropped out of the race yesterday. And I think a lot of people will be shocked that Joe Sestak was running for president. Yeah. I mean, nobody <laughs> knew he was. It up. But we were getting those, press he, releases, I'll say that. <laughs> yes, we do know who that is. Uh, he actually beat Arlen Specter in the Democratic primary. But, um, but also, uh, Steve Bullock, the governor of Montana, uh, also said he's not going to run. And basically, I mean, whatever you think of Steve Bullock and what he represented in the, in the race, the fact is he did not qualify for the debate. He only made one of the five. And when you're not in a debate and you're not raising a lot of money, well, first of all, if you're not in the debate, you're not going to raise a lot of money. And if you're not in the debate, nobody's talking about you. So Steve Bullock is gone. He would argue that he's the only person who represents a, a, a red state, the governor of Montana. But that didn't convince any enough voters to keep him in the debate. No, he did say and, he wanted a platform for climate change conversation, that it wasn't being discussed enough. And that does raise the point, Ken, whether people jump into the race for an agenda item as opposed to really thinking they're running for president. Well, that's true. And that's true about the governor of Washington state. I mean, well, the governor of Washington state was really working on climate change and, uh, and he got nowhere. Steve Bullock was talking about climate change and the corruption of money, about all this big money. Right. And it's kind of ironic. I mean, he drops out of the race while you have, I mean, I'm sure you see it in California, too. We see it in Washington, D.C. as well. Nonstop commercials from Tom Steyer and, uh, and Michael Bloomberg, neither of whom, well, certainly Michael Bloomberg won't be in the debates because he hasn't raised enough outside money. I mean, it's one thing to pour $35 million of your own money into the campaign, but if you're not raising money from outside donors, you don't qualify for the debates, plus the fact that Michael Bloomberg is not going to be involved in the early states, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada. He's going to wait for Super Tuesday. That's a very interesting strategy. But my goodness, you cannot turn on the TV in November and now December without seeing both Tom Steyer and Michael Bloomberg doing their campaign ads and talk about you know the, the influence of big money. My goodness, Steve Bullock didn't uh, fare too well when he tried to warn, warn us about big money. And all you're seeing is Bloomberg and Steyer on TV. So if you have a number of senators off the campaign trail because they're in Washington for a trial, it leaves the whole space wider for people like Michael Bloomberg. Well, again, but of course, uh, Michael Bloomberg is not campaigning in Iowa and New Hampshire, whereas Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Michael Bennett, um, Bernie Sanders, Amy Klobuchar are all campaigning in that first state in the February, uh, uh, the February 3rd and, and, then, and, and then February 11th in New Hampshire. So, yes, Bloomberg will be blanket in the airwaves, but it does, I mean, Mitch McConnell could be mischievous and, you know, decide to have the uh, hearings coincide with Iowa and New Hampshire, but you're absolutely right. Of the, of the, of the candidates still running, six of them are United States senators. Right. And, of course, when, uh, when, when Bill Clinton was, uh, uh, had that Senate trial, he was already reelected. There was no presidential election in 1999. Hmm. 
So December 19th is the next presidential debate among the Democrats who qualify. I think there are six already, the top names. So as, far, correct. As you might expect. Um, and the debate's been moved. Initially, it was UCLA, and then there was a labor concern. So it will be right. at Loyola Marymount on December 19th. The last debate really was lost in the headlines of the public hearings, Ken, and I think just posted the lowest ratings of any of the debates so far for the Democrats. Well, well I'm sure political junkies watched it, and I'm, I'm sure the, but that was the same day as the, um, the, the, the um, impeachment hearings, I mean, you know, the impeachment inquiry. So, of course, it, well, it, didn't, it did share the headlines the next day, but it was instrumental. I mean, Joe Biden once again did not perform well, I didn't think. I mean, he was talking about violence against women, and then he advised people to keep punching, keep punching, keep punching. And the next sentence after he's talking about violence against women, which seemed very strange, he didn't remember that there were other African-American women, uh, female senators who endorsed him. He thought he, it was only one who endorsed him. And Kamala Harris said, what are you kidding me? I'm right here. Elizabeth Warren, uh, there were more and more questions about her, the price of her uh, Medicare for All plan, and she's been on the defensive about that. Uh, Cory Booker, Cory Booker thought it had a great performance, but, but basically most of the time he was talking about, please send me money because I may not be in the next debate. And Pete Buttigieg, the new polls in Iowa show him dra- the biggest movement, perhaps even leading in Iowa. And that just shocks everybody. It shocks Biden, it shocks Warren, it shocks Bernie Sanders. Uh, and everybody thought that Pete Buttigieg would be the subject and the target of, of, of attacks during the debate. But, you know, the, the argument that African Americans don't like him, he'll say, well, look, you know something? I understand discrimination. As a gay American, I've been discriminated for much of my life, and so I will fight for that, for, fight against. Uh, discrimination. So I thought he had a very effective debate performance as well. Um, I, you know, not everybody's watching these, but I think there's a lot to be learned in every single debate. I think your summary makes it pretty easy. <laughs> That's right. They should just listen to our show. Right. Forget the debate. Just watch, listen to our show. Right. And, and just some of that distinction on qualifying. Some candidates have the right donor threshold, but they haven't qualified on the number of polls they need to qualify in. So we that's still have exactly a couple weeks. Right. And, yeah. and that's why you're talking about Andrew Yang and Cory Booker and Tulsi Gabbard. Those are among those who are not yet in the December 19th debate because they are not either getting enough donors, but more likely that they have not reached that new threshold, which is 4% in national polls, in addition to 200,000 unique donors. And I mean, in the old days, you know, the candidates would run and the voters of Iowa, New Hampshire, and the other states would determine their fortunes. But because this has turned, started earlier than ever with the debates earlier than ever, it's now up to the DNC to see who qualifies. And I know there are a lot of people who are not qualifying who are blaming the DNC for picking favorites, which, of course, many people criticized the DNC for in 2016 when they, alleged, when they said that the DNC allegedly chose Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders, that fight is still going on. All right. This conversation is still going on, too, Ken, and thank you so much. I know you're down there visiting with your mom. I appreciate that we were able to still connect with you, and good luck traveling back to Washington in the ongoing weather out there. Yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure. All right. That is Ken Rudin, the political junkie. He joins us on the first Monday of every month. You're listening to Insight on your NPR station, Cap Radio.